welcome to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. My name's Wayne. And I'm Robert. And we're back with part two of fifth edition updates for Dark Sun. Wait, we're doing a Dark Sun podcast, right? I think so. <laughs> Excellent. I, we got a lot of comments on our uh, first episode uh, for this one. A lot of episodes on, on Facebook, especially that I saw. And um, we're going to continue with this. I'm going to apologize. I have a little bit of a sore throat and it's messing... <laughs> It's messing with me a little bit, but we keep looking at this chapter and we're like, oh, there's more and more and more stuff to talk about. <laughs> and uh, we'll try to get into as much depth as possible while still giving you, uh, you the listener, some sort of useful fifth edition advice for all of this. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how far we get to. But thanks for, for tuning in. Thanks for keeping up with us. I think we're just going to dive right into the topics today. But just before that, I don't know if anybody was paying attention as of this recording. I think it was just uh, Monday or Tuesday or, or whatnot, just very recently, they had a, a psionic sorcerer that was um, put out for Anarthakana. Obviously, in our last episode, we did not talk about sorcerers at all, that kind of bloodline stuff. So very interesting. A lot of people have said to me, it's like, oh, this is the Wilder. I think that's is mm-hmm. that the third edition one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Wilder. I don't know. I actually have not taken a very close look at it. Yeah, I haven't looked at it either. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. They specifically called out psionics. And uh, something that uh, Jeremy Crawford told me a couple years back was that if you see his name on one of the Unearthed Arcana, it means it's something they're actually actively working on Hmm. for something. Now, it might end up being scrapped. I'm not saying that this is going to show up in a product. It might end up being scrapped later on anyways. But when his name is on those articles, and it does, his name is on this article, it's a pretty good indication that they're using this and they're working on this for something. If the article only has, well, in the past, sometimes the article only had Mike Merle's name on it, it just means that something Mike put up and it has not gone through any development passes yet. So take that for what you will. That's something he told me when I met him a couple of years ago. So maybe, I don't know. I don't know what it means. This is not me speculating. I have no, absolutely no clue if this means anything. Just a little tidbit for for our listeners out there. <laughs> yeah, I think that you know, in Dark Sun, you could make the sorcerer the psionicist, and and you know, instead of bloodlines, have them just be the different kinds of of psionicists. But mm-hmm. in order to do that, I think you would have to make a very interesting way to handle psionic points, like you know, how, however, mm-hmm. however those come into play. Like I said, I haven't looked at the psionic sorcerer yeah. at all, so. Yep. I think it could be one way to do it, as long as Sorcerer was also not Psionics. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Magic, uh, like we said mm-hmm. before. So, who knows? I feel like it's not the best fit, but uh, it's definitely one way to do it. Yeah. So, anyways, just something, some comments. Obviously, if you have comments about the show, comments about what we've just said, comments because we haven't actually read it very carefully, <laughs> you know, <laughs> please let us know. Show notes, Facebook, whatever it is. So... Today, we're going to start moving into, you know, last, last time we went through races and uh, ability scores and, and classes. I mean, that classes took up a very long time. We're going to move through some of the less, the more esoteric stuff today. Um, and we're going to start with alignment. And I just want to put something out there. And this is my personal view. This is not wizards or anything like that. Coming from, from a lot of times I speak with people who play Eberron, they say that alignment has no place in D&D. Alignment has, you know, doesn't mean anything. It actually does, and I think the way that people look at it, I feel, is maybe incorrect. 
I believe that alignment is the default setting for your character when personality traits, ideals, bonds, flaws don't apply to the situation. Uh, and this goes the same for the monsters. Why do certain monsters load as chaotic evil? Because you're not going to give each monster that you fight a, a personality, but given a situation, chaotic evil is a good default way of explaining how this this thing, this monster, this person will react. Or lawful good means that this person will react. It's not a shade of gray to say someone is lawful good. That's what they are. But their personality traits, their flaws, their bonds, ideals can color that. But I'm hoping, you don't have to agree with me, but I'm hoping everybody understands that there's a reason that alignment is still in the game. And I think the reason is because that gives you a default um, to play. Because I'll admit, sometimes I start a character off, I don't have those those tables filled in. I, I don't have those personality traits and whatnot filled in, mm-hmm. but I always have the alignment filled in because I know this is my default way of my character will react or act in certain situations. In terms of alignment, obviously for Dark Sun, you didn't have a lot of good characters. You didn't have a lot, of, definitely a lot, lot of good characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but remember that there was a specific rule for alignments, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the page reference, but it came into play where, and I think what I've just said is actually very relevant, is that you might be a lawful good character, but in a desperate situation, you run out of water, you run out of food, you're dying. There are rules for your alignment shifting and your alignment, you playing out of alignment. Yeah, that was especially you know in second edition. I think they really didn't apply in later editions just because it was it was something that, was i don't know actually i don't know why why they weren't there but i always liked them because it sort of gave a higher priority to that survival aspect that you know that dark sun is so famous for yeah and we're talking about that right now so talking about skills and proficiencies and part of that is obviously some of the survival stuff when looking at fifth edition i think that some of the um i don't know if we're necessarily missing certain skills but there are certain weightings on those skills that are are different, right? So if you think about something like from second edition, you had stuff like find water mm-hmm. or I think there's one that uh, uh somatic concealment. I think that's oh yep. yeah, there's like some somatic concealment. Mm-hmm. Heat protection. I mean, those were skills and proficiencies that you could learn. Now that doesn't really those are not fifth edition skills. But they do translate into certain things. I mean, finding water, you're talking about foraging, you're talking about finding water. That's specifically the survival skill, right? right? You know, stuff like bargain or bureaucracy, that's that's probably persuasion. Mm-hmm. Somatic concealment, sleight of hand, yep. you know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. We have listed sign language. I mean, just that's a, lang- that's a language, right? Mm-hmm. You can use that. Silent detection. Technically, that's the tech magic. <laughs> like that's kind of where that goes. But if you want to, you know, if you want to map it to a skill specifically, arcana or insight, yeah, perception, yeah, perception, those kind yeah, of perception. Yeah, those kind I would of say things. that's sort of the sonic detection is probably the only one that doesn't really fit. I mean, armor optimization doesn't really fit either, and weapon mm-hmm. improvisation that's not even a skill. It's just a, like a feat. Obviously, like you think brawler. Or, you know, anybody can use an improvised weapon otherwise. So some of the things, you know, you don't really need, like bargain, you know, that's kind of already in, you know, persuasion or whatever. But 
but some of them, yep. and, and some of them I, I use quite a bit. You know, if we have a wizard, you know, you could use either, you know, this is where I think you could do, you know, somatic concealment is obviously for your for your hand movements, what that's supposed to be for. But also, mm-hmm. like, what if there's no hand movements? If it's just, um, if you have verbal components, then maybe you need, yep. you know, maybe you need a deception or um, yeah. something like that to, to kind of get get one over that way. Yeah, I think that's, I, I think deception, performance, those kind of things are, are really good mixes. I mean, obviously from second edition, there wasn't the expansive skill list that we got in third, mm-hmm. which got powered down to four, in fourth and fifth. There wasn't that that big list of stuff and skills obviously weren't, you know, that's more like I tell the DM what I want to do and the DM gives me a role sort of thing. So obviously there's certain things in there that that are there. I don't feel that as much as sometimes we, we feel, oh, we could add stuff in. I don't feel like that the fifth edition skill list is misses anything for Dark Sun. So as a personal thing, I don't think I would change it at all. But I might add in things that you would not normally think about into certain skills. And we're going to talk a little more about the survival aspect and just basically right now. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, a lot of those, like if, if you really wanted Waterfine to, you know, you might not want its own skill. Obviously, it, it can be folded into survival. But you might want to, if it's really important for your campaign, maybe add a little bit extra nuance to the survival skill mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for Waterfine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously, I think, I think in, let's skip a little bit ahead here, uh, since we're kind of talking about yep. this. There's foraging in the DMG in fifth edition. Mm-hmm. It says that you can, um, you know, gather food and water as uh, as you travel at a no- normal or slow pace. You just make a wisdom mm-hmm. check and a survival check uh, whenever you mm-hmm. call for it with the DC, determined by how much food and water is kind of in the region. Yeah. And yep. there's, you know, there's there's like abundant, limited, and very little. And I would say that, you know, yep. like abundant would be maybe like verdant belt and forest, mm-hmm. and then. Limited would be like mountains and scrub plains, and pretty much everywhere else would be very little. So right, right. It would kind of be it would be more difficult to yep. to find food and water. Mm-hmm. One of the things that it talks about also is that uh, if multiple characters forage, you uh, a foraging character finds nothing on a failed check or on a successful check, you roll a d6 plus the character's wisdom mm-hmm. to determine how much food in pounds you find, yeah. um, and water in gallons. Now, originally. In Dark Sun, it was like you have a successful check to find food and water for themselves. So mm-hmm. the 5th edition version, you would find more water. So I would definitely pare that down and just make mm-hmm. it finding water for yourself. Unless you're like, maybe if you're going at like a really slow rate, mm-hmm. then you could find it for multiple people. But if you're moving at a regular rate, you're mm-hmm. only going to find water for yourself. And that's just, yep. you know, it makes it a little a little harder, yep. which is what I think Dark Sun should yep. be. So I'm going to give a caveat here. Obviously, there's something that some people noticed that we didn't cover that's in 5th edition, but not in 2nd, is that's backgrounds. If you look at the Outlander background, the specific background says you find food, you can find food and water mm-hmm. basically without a check. That's the background ability. Now, we haven't quite addressed backgrounds in this. It would have been great to have addressed it in our previous episode, but we were running pretty long on that episode as it was. Yeah. One of the things that, in order to make this more difficult, now, as it is, most places you're going to be making a check for DC 15, maybe DC 20, you know, on a first level character at the best wisdom they can have, 
at plus five, you know, just kind of standard, you're not going to have the best chance to find something. I mean, scrub plains, mountains, you got a 50-50, technically 55% chance because of 10. So a, a couple things that you can definitely do. It, it's not hard to make this check harder, but you do want to look at what do you want, how, what kind of equality, what kind of fairness do you want to give? One of the suggestions I would make is if you're going to try to make this more difficult or, sorry, more risky is make them make two checks, one for food, one for water. Mm-hmm. So it might mean you could find enough food, but maybe you don't have enough water or vice versa. Right, yeah. Both of these things are needed. You're not making the check any harder. You're just giving more consequences of them needing to make more checks. The reason I'm saying this is because one of the things that happened when I was running an Out of the Dark campaign is that someone took Under Dark Explorer, or I can't remember the, the background, so one of the major one of the things inside of that campaign, spoiler alert, is needing to forage for food and water. And with someone having that background, I think you could you can get yourself and five other five other characters enough mm-hmm. food. I was like, well, I'm just going to throw this out the window because it's right. not a big deal. Yeah, at that point. Mm-hmm. And and in fifth edition in general, that's not the resource that resource management that survival management is not a big deal. In Dark Sun, it is. Obviously, you know, you need to check how much weight you have. Like one of the things we haven't mentioned is encumbrance. I have not yet played a fifth edition game where encumbrance has come into come into effect. But now you're talking about something that, well, you gotta need to carry this much food and water. Mm-hmm. Something you need to consider, right? So when we're talking about this foraging thing, you're you're gonna have to cons- you may want to have the characters consider that. Now, obviously, you know, if you're let's say Goliath, you know, I know Goliaths were used as fifth edition half giants, but Let's say you're Goliath and have the uh, powerful build. <laughs> Weight is not going to be a big deal, but right. not everybody has that, right? Mm-hmm. So just having that in, in, in consideration when we're talking about that survival aspect, just throwing more D20s generally is good. It may not be the best way. That's just one of the things that I thought about when I was like, here's something that you may want to consider and try. Yeah, if you're if you're throwing multiple D20s for food and water, then it's going to make the foraging DCs more difficult because you're having more chances to fail, basically. Mm-hmm. One of the things you could do in that case is you could you could give even more gradient to, to the different um, terrain types. So instead of mm-hmm. just having 10, 15, 20, you could have a range. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have 10, 12, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could have a few of them. Yep. There's like, you know, there's enough there are enough different kinds of uh, terrain that you could, you know, you could probably do 10 through 10 through 20. Yeah, probably. To make it a little more interesting and, and slightly easier in some cases. Yeah. And talking about, you know, the weight of water and stuff, and, you know, you're saying if you're a half giant, it's not going to be a big deal. Well, half giants, you know, they've got to drink like, I think it was, you know, four, four gallons times. of water a day. Yeah, yep. four, yeah, that was, that was it, four times as much. And so one of the other things is that fifth edition says you need one gallon of water per day. And mm-hmm. I would definitely not go with that. I would go for two gallons of water per day. And that's on a personal note, just because like I've literally lived in the desert outside all day and I was drinking two gallons of water a day myself. <laughs> so I would definitely do that. And so that, I mean, that weighs 16 pounds. And so if you have a half giant, you know, and, and it's four times that you're hearing eight, eight gallons of water per day. So mm-hmm. they might start pushing into that weight limit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now talking about that weight limit and talking about, well, obviously heat, now, I've never lived in the desert, so I don't know about this extreme heat thing. I'm 
bad enough as it is when I don't get AC, right? So <laughs> one of the things that obviously one of the things we're talking about now is we're talking about the heat. And in the DMG, there is a rule about heat. It comes into play sometimes if you've played Tomb of Annihilation, they remind you that this is happening. One of the things just to remind and that, uh, so let me, let me kind of read off the rule here. So when the temperature is at or above 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and for those people who are Canadian or don't live in the US, that's like thir- like high 30s of Celsius, okay? And you're, you're exposed to heat without access to water, you have to make a constitution saving throw at the end of each hour or gain a level of exhaustion. Six levels, you die. Now, this is exposed to heat and without access, access to drinkable water, okay? So a lot of people kind of forget that part. If you have access to water, you don't have to make this check. But what happens is, is that if you're wearing medium or heavy armor, or you have heavy clothing, you make this roll at a disadvantage. This really sucks for some of the classes that depend on medium and heavy armor <laughs> that are not light armor classes, right? And Or no armor classes. Obviously, there's some of those as well. Mm-hmm. So something definitely to consider. and this is where the survival aspect comes in. Because if you don't have access to drinkable water or you're foraging along the way and you fail that water, finding water check, you're in trouble. And this is a check every hour. And it's the TC is five and increases by one for each additional hour. So if you're walking for 10 hours, travel day is usually eight. So let's say eight hours. The DTC is not impossible. It's DC 13. But the chance of you failing a constitution check you know, making eight rolls from five to 13, you might fail one or two, right? So mm-hmm. this is not meant as a death. This is not a death sentence, maybe not on the first day. This is not a death mm-hmm. sentence for uh, for characters, just so everybody knows. We're talking about Dark Sun. So this is not 100 degrees Fahrenheit. I think at one point, I, I remember reading 140, but I, I, I can't for the life of me remember what the, the temperature actually was supposed to be. I think 100 yeah, degrees is like that would be yeah 140 would be like extreme yeah but i would say it's relatively regularly 100 you know in a lot yeah. of cases um it so can get down 100 to, in the shade <laughs> yeah right yeah so it, it can get down to that you know dur- during the middle of the day in the, mm. in the middle of summer it's probably going to be over 100 all day uh, yeah. i know in arizona where i live during the uh, the height of the summer it's never less than like 90 degrees here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's even in the night. So in the middle of the summer in dark sun, it's going to be probably over a hundred every, you know, all, yeah. all the time, basically. Yeah. So this is a good rule. Just remember each part of this rule because I've, I've seen DMs, I've heard of DMs who applied incorrectly. I've actually seen it applied incorrect, seen the reverse of this applied incorrectly in like say AL and stuff like that. It's if you're exposed to heat, okay, and without access to water. So both those conditions, okay? If you're wearing medium or heavy armor, clad in heavy clothing, it's disadvantage. But you have resistance or immunity to fire, you automatically succeed the saving throw, right? And as do creatures adapted to natural hot climates. The one thing I would change for Dark Sun, maybe for this, is to make that first DC maybe more severe. You don't have to. Again, if you're saying you start at DC 10 and it goes to 18, someone's going to screw up that that constitution saving throw, maybe even at 10, right? Yeah. Um, so definitely you can make this more severe if you want. You change the DC, you make it more severe. But again, it's one of those things that at 5 to 13 for a full day of travel and trying to find shade or whatnot, 
you're probably going to have someone fail one or two of them, which sucks, but it's not going to kill them at the end of the day. It's just going to be really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the, you know, that's the gist of survival. You know, you can do a lot. Uh, I think Darkest Dungeons is a, uh, it's a fifth edition kind of rules supplement. Mm-hmm. It's got a bunch of like alternate rules for, for travel and survival that are pretty cool that you could use for Dark Sun. So definitely check that out if you want some, some more detailed rules, which I think, you know, I, th- I think Dark Sun could use some more detailed survival rules mm-hmm. um, because that's one aspect, you know, if you, if you want to play that up, that aspect of Yeah. So the next section is money and equipment. And the basic gift of Dark Sun is that, you know, there's there's really no metal. And so all metal items cost the price that's listed in the in the player's handbook. So they cost mm-hmm. the price in gold. Mm-hmm. And the way that money works in Dark Sun, for those of you that don't know, you don't have gold. You don't uh, I mean you have it, but it's really rare. You don't really have silver either either. What you really have is ceramic. Mm-hmm. So ten ceramic make up silver, yeah. ten silver make up a gold, just like normal. But most things are in in ceramic. So if you buy something, so if if you start up in dark sun, you know you have like maybe a hundred, maybe two hundred, whatever, ceramic to buy stuff. Mm-hmm. That's only a total of two gold. Yeah. So you're probably not even having a, a metal dagger mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a metal anything really. And then anything that's kind of not metal is is taken at a one percent price. So it makes things really cheap, but then that is converted to ceramic. So it's kind of makes it the same, yeah. the same cost mm-hmm. effectively. And then in, you know, to go along with that, there's other materials that things can be made out of and primarily weapons. So weapons can be made out of, you know, obviously your metal, they're going to be really expensive. Then you have bone, stone and obsidian and wood. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, you know, that's most asked is how, you know, how do you treat weapon materials yep. in dark yep. sun? The way I do it is basically, just just to make it easy because while it was really interesting to have you know bone stone city and a wood be all separate and have all these different bonuses to hit mm-hmm. and damage mm-hmm. it just makes things you know almost just annoying in a way mm-hmm. so i i just kind of broke it down into you know if you have uh if you have an inferior weapon it's just got a, a chance to break if you you know if you roll max damage and, and, and that and kind of left it at that mm-hmm. there's a i have a few other sort of weapon writers that do different things but but that's the gist of it it just makes it really easy that way you can describe like if you think it's cooler for your character to have bone weapons as opposed to obsidian or stone weapons then describe them with that you know what i mean mm-hmm. unless i specifically give someone like okay you find an obsidian you know like like gith the giant gith spears are you know those are obsidian yeah. so yeah otherwise people describe it how they like yeah. i can't find my document right now obviously i, I haven't run fifth edition dark sun one of the things I did was I took something out of um, oh my gosh I can't remember the game now. So basically, if for for my for my adaptation was inferior weapons would decrease the die damage. So if you had a bone long sword, it would decrease the die by one size. So you go from D eight to a D six, gotcha. and then mm-hmm. wood would be two. I can't find the document for some reason. And DCC Dungeon Crawl Classics. Okay. So, mm-hmm. oh, thank you. That was going to bug me if I couldn't remember that. So I, I did it that way. Just felt like instead of adding numbers, again, this is one of those things that I, I spoke to some of the designers and they said they they didn't like, for fifth edition, they didn't use a lot of fiddly numbers. Like it's basically like you have mm-hmm. two modifiers, you add them together and they're basically always, always there. It's your proficiency and your ability score modifier and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, well, going up one die and going down one die, you just have to remember once you write it down on your sheet it's good. So instead of D8, you grab a D6, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So 
I look at it that way and I said, that's a relatively elegant system. You know, a metal great sword is going to be 2d8 damage, uh, 2d6 damage, but one that's made out of bone is just not going to hit as hard. So I'm just going to die, you know, go die down. Yeah. So that's one of the things I, I considered. I've never tested it. Like I said, I've, I, I don't currently run Dark Sun in 5th edition. So I don't know if it works. I mean, there's been a lot of conversion notes. And this is one of the main things. And I think I've mentioned this before. This is one of my favorite things about Dark Sun is this weapon material thing. Just be able to say, I don't just have a dagger or I don't have just a magical dagger. I have a bone dagger. I have an obsidian dagger. If you've seen obsidian, obsidian is pretty cool looking. Mm-hmm. Making a dagger out of it is pretty difficult. <laughs> I've, yeah. seen, I've seen guys, people like on YouTube trying to chip out a dagger. Yeah. But this is fantasy, right? So it's a, there's so much obsidian, it's easier to work, you know, that right. kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people are like, oh, that's not possible. I'm like, okay, you know, hand wave magic. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things, you know, the besides the the weapon sort of having, you know, different properties to hit or, mm-hmm. or, or the ability to, to have that, the other thing and the thing that I think is more important in the game is the is the breaking of weapons in mm-hmm. combat. So that's that's interesting. It's fun and mm-hmm. you know, it kind of exemplifies Dark Sun. And so mm-hmm. The way that I did that in fifth edition was basically so if you if your proper if your weapon has a property of inferior you know any of these bone stone obsidian wood have inferior and if you roll maximum damage on the weapon dice then you roll a d twenty the roll of a one indicates the weapon breaks and then any other result so this is where it does get you delete because I like it any other result just gives a weapon a minus one to damage now you could just do away with that last part. And just say if you roll a one, it breaks, and that you know, and, and be done with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another part that I also have in there is that if you roll a one on an attack roll, then you roll a d twenty on a ten or better. The weapon doesn't break, but it gains a cumulative minus one damage again. Mm-hmm. You don't have to use that part if you don't want. Mm-hmm. And if you roll a nine or less, the weapon break. Also, if you if you're attacking with advantage or disadvantage, and you roll two ones, your weapon automatically breaks. Mm-hmm. So those are sort of like three different ways you could do it. Now yep. you can use all of them. And it makes mm-hmm. it, you know, you know, give you lots, lots of chances. You could just use one of them if you don't want it to be as, as hard. Another way I do it is uh, another thing I, I forgot to throw in here is that if you roll and you don't like the roll that you got, say you roll, you know, you're rolling your your great sword and you roll two d six, but you roll like two ones or something. Yeah. You can you can choose to to take maximum damage on an attack roll mm-hmm. for just the weapon damage, and mm-hmm. it, but your weapon automatically breaks. Okay. So that's something that I've, I, I haven't had any player use that yet, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I figured if there's some time where it's a clutch thing, someone might do that. <laughs> right, see. right. So for mine, and, and this is not tested, what I did was basically, I did something very different from Robert, and I'm not saying his is wrong, this is just how I thought about designing it. And to be very honest, this was like four years ago that I designed this, so great assault. <laughs> Mine was basically, if you rolled a one on an attack, uh, you would have to make a saving throw, like a weapon-breaking saving throw. And there's a DC for what kind of material you you had. Mm-hmm. If you failed the saving throw, and I, I don't think I ever defined what that saving throw was. I don't think it was like a deck saver. It's like there was some sort of saving throw and there's a DC. If you fail that saving throw, your weapon gets the broken uh, property. Uh, you have advantage disadvantage on attack rolls because it's just, it's broken. You can still do the same much damage. Until you repair it, it still is broken. If the broken weapon, and then if you hit again with it or you roll the one, 
and then you have to roll another uh, weapon break. If it's broken already, it's just broken. Done. Done with the weapon. And then it would be modified by, if it was a magic item, it would mm-hmm. be modified by rarity. Like basically, you know, more rep- weapons are probably a little bit better built, that kind of thing. It's an extra D20 roll. The way I design things is like, is just try to keep within the same aesthetic. Uh, it's an extra D20 roll when someone rolls a one, but it should be relatively quick. But again, I have not tested this. So if you don't like it, not a problem. <laughs> I won't be offended. You know, listeners, that's basically what it is. And that, yeah, that's just basically what I was playing around with. And I had this laid out in a document, but I never published it or anything like that. And at this point, really can't yet. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the old second edition stuff, yeah. you know, said that basically if you, if you inflict max, maximum damage, yeah. then, then there was a one in ch- 20 chance that the weapon would break. Um, and so, so that was actually, you know, probably, you know, depending on the weapon, it yeah. could happen a lot. You know, if it's a, D, a D4, you're going to roll a four a lot. So you, yeah. that's maximum damage, you know. Um, <laughs> so it'll probably, probably happen a lot um, that yeah. way. So there's a bunch of different ways you could do it. You know, use whatever works well for your game, you know, depending on how sort of how fiddly you want the game to be. One of the things with 5th edition is that it's not very fiddly, but that doesn't mean you can't add those little fiddly things in there yeah. and not really change the game drastically. It's just a little more, you know, a little more work, basically. Yeah, so... If you have your own rules, obviously there's there's lots of conversions out there. Great. Or you can always ask us a little bit more about our our systems. I'm sure I can find that document somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Next up is armor. I mean, I think, uh, was it third edition? Third edition had, obviously, original Dark Sun. We didn't really have much in terms of, we didn't specify medium heavy light armor or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Not really. I don't remember. But in third edition, they did. And some of the armors became impossible to make. Chain chain anything is impossible to make without metal, unless you're making a fake thing. But um, you know, a lot of these in, in original in in Dark Sun, some of these were just da- gone. You you if you found a suit of you know plate, wow, amazing, right? If you found anything like some of them just just didn't exist, but in terms of balance for the game in 5th edition, you still have characters who wear medium and heavy armor. So what do we do in this point? So like you're talking about, in 2nd in edition, there just wasn't the metal. And if you did find it, then, you know, then there was heat restrictions, basically, that, that you know, if you, if you wore them, you were in trouble. And so one of the things that, that I always liked in 2nd edition was that there were, in, in a lot of the art, not necessarily the Brahm art, because Brahm had, you know, very scantily clad people, whether it was male or female. But in some of the backs of art, it looked like they had like heavy chitinous armor in mm. some spots. And and that led me to back in the day, there was an Armor of Athos net project. Mm. Um, and we've talked about this before. The net projects were basically like part of the Dark Sun mailing list. Like someone would get an idea and then everyone would sort of contribute a little bit to it. And so one of my projects was the Armor of Athos. And so people contributed all these different kinds of armor and if you go and you look in some of the if you look in the monsters compendium you know you can find creatures like braxats and and nightmare beasts and and drakes and different things like that and so using the idea that these creatures would have armor that you could use and supplement as different kinds of armor like you can make braxat plate armor Mm -hmm. um, which would 
be not as good as regular plate armor, but it's like mm -hmm. something that you could use in Dark Sun, right? And so mm -hmm. what I've done with 5th edition is I did the same thing. I built out all of the armors. Um, I went back to that armor of Athos web project. Mm -hmm. I took all of the armors that people created, and then I recreated them in 5th edition, giving mm -hmm. them slight variances so that they're not as good as the regular armor. Mm -hmm. I also added other different kinds of properties for the armor. For example, that that Braxat armor that I was telling you about, you know, mm -hmm. if a Braxat sees you wearing Braxat armor, they're probably not going to like that very much. <laughs> so I think I, I think I gave it an ability called infuriating or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or like Thrycreen or uh, elves were known, some elves, Thrycreen hunter elves were known to wear Thrycreen armor, right? The, mm -hmm. the plates made from cream. And so they're, you know, it's going to be the same thing. It's Braxat armor. They're not going to like that. So Right. So I've kind of included the the heavy armor, like alternate materials for heavy heavy armor, yep. which I think is fun, and it, and it it keeps those those characters that use heavy armor in fifth edition still viable, mm -hmm. while also giving it the Athasian flavor. Now, if you want to go hardcore and old school, then maybe you're not going to use those. Maybe heavy armor, you know, like we talked about, if, you, if you're wearing heavy armor. You know, those uh, all of those checks to, to kind of walk in the middle of the day when it's over 100 degrees are going to be at disadvantage. So, you know, mm -hmm. that that could be troubling. So yep. um, you could go either way. Yeah, I mean, I think it was fourth edition that really exemplified the you wear a certain type of armor, there are certain type of upgrades and, and whatnot. You know, do you wear plate or do you wear chain, like whatever you're proficient with? And it really went deep into replacing metals and it basically didn't give many alternate stats for any of these items i think that's fine it kept to the mechanics of the game it went kept to the mechanics of the game instead of kind of bending to the the story of the game in fifth edition it's not as we don't have to be as stringent to follow the mechanics of the game because it's fifth edition is a lot harder to break if you've played higher level third edition or higher level fourth edition, you know that the game is easier to break because there's disparity in certain things. In fifth edition, it's it's much harder to break. So if you basically say, if you cut the top line of each of the armor types, so light, medium, heavy, so no studded leather because, well, you can have studded leather, but understanding what I mean, uh, you cut out half plate and you cut out plate and you, so that means all the ACs drop by a little bit. You can mm -hmm. use those same categories, reflavor them. So basically, instead of splint armor, you can have blah, 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 this, which is some sort of plate armor. Instead of chain, it's this armor. Same stats, but that's changed up. You can right. change the, you know, armor has different stats, right? There's stuff like, there's AC, obviously that's the most important, but there's weight, right? There's how much strength you need. Is it disadvantage on stealth? You can make these modifications there because if you look at the, if you take out the top row, the top half plate for medium armor, then it's breastplate and scale, right? Scale is, has penalty, has a penalty to stealth and breastplate doesn't. They're both AC 14 plus up to plus two decks. So you can always make those modifications. Well, scale armor is very easy to you pick anything with scales or make scales, you have scale armor. Uh, breastplate could be some solid fit uh, piece of armor uh, that covers. 
So there's a lot of ways you can you can do that. That's what I personally would have done if I run a campaign. It was just basically take the top line out of each type of armor and just be like, okay, you can only get you know AC this AC whatnot. And then if you do end up finding something, maybe you do find a suit of plate or you find something that's so good, so well done. It's Drake plate armor, whatever. Then you can have that last level. Again, going with the scarcity, going with things being a little more difficult, but make it a little more fun, something to strive for, right? And then it's not a matter of accumulating enough money to purchase it. It's, hey, I found something cool. I built it out. I sewed it myself. You know, I used my skills and, you know, artisan tools for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so talking about heavy armor, the original Dark Sun rules basically said that if you're in the daytime and you're wearing metal armor, Mm -hmm. then the character would add one to their Thacko, which means basically a minus one is effectively Mm -hmm. what it was, for every round of combat beyond the first and Mm -hmm. would collapse uh, exhausted from the heat. A number of rounds equal to their constitution score. Mm -hmm. Now, most combats in 5th edition don't go nearly nearly to to your constitution score. Mm -hmm. But what, you know, I feel like some of this is basically folded into that, you know, what we yeah. talked about before in the survival section where you get, you know, levels of exhaustion. And one of the ways you could do that here would just be to say, you know, after three rounds of combat, then you have to make a save, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and if you fail, fail that save, then you get a level of exhaustion. That would fit real easy yeah. and, and work with it, with everything else. So it would make fighting during the day very, very hard if you're wearing metal yeah. armor. To me, I, I personally wouldn't implement this, but if I were to do something like that, I would say that after a certain period of time, I don't know if it's three rounds or whatnot, you basically have to drink some water. <laughs> in the middle of combat, you're going to have to drink some water because that's the condition that you have to like you have to break, right? And after combat, you would have to make you would have to make one of those saves, no matter what, because you've basically exhausted yourself sitting in there in middle armor, you know, glowing with heat, or start taking damage. This is a heat metal effect, maybe not as severe. Heat metal is actually quite powerful spell if anybody's really noticed it. Mm-hmm. But basically, you know, on round round one, you don't take any damage. Round two, you start taking a little like D4. Round three, it's a D6. Round four, you know, you can start doing stuff like that because you're, you're taking heat damage. Like, you know, if anybody's ever, you know, you've ever gone back into your car and you have leather seats, I mean, you can burn your butt. Imagine now you're trying to get into a metal seat, right? Right. And it's being out in the sun. I mean, that's painful, right? Mm-hmm. So... While I think that's a little bit of nuance that I won't necessarily add into the into my game, you definitely could add into your game, and I would def, I would recommend something like that, where it's sort of like either you're going to take damage, and instead of you just collapsing, or have makes make some rolls of, or you know what, interact with an object or take an action. You got to drink some water, you know, and if you've got a shield and a sword, you got to drop one of them to to pull out that water skin and and get some water into you. I think it's just it makes it funnier, <laughs> you know. So if you do have that full plate. You know, watch you know, watch out a little bit. So, yeah, yeah, I could see, I could see um, some good cinematic elements there. So let's uh, let's move on. We're kind of running out of time here, but let's let's get through magic. So one of the things with magic that's different in Dark Sun than your regular world is for elemental magic. You had spheres of magic. Mm-hmm. They really wanted to kind of push the earth, air, fire, and water aspects of mm-hmm. uh of dark sun magic uh divine magic and and they broke out most of the spells into those categories so you get your earth air fire and water there mm-hmm. was a fifth category a sphere 
called Cosmos. And that was sort of like your catch-all for things that really didn't fit into any of the others. Yeah. And so not only did, I think there was major, you also had major and minor access. And I think, mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly if that was like up to third level spells if you had minor and then everything else if you had major. Something like that, yeah. But I know that like clerics would have, you know, major access to to their element and then minor access to Cosmos. Templars had like major access to to everything, I think. And then Druids had like major access to one sphere and minor ac- access to another. So they kind of shook right. it up like that, which is cool. Now, I feel like in 5th edition, that would take a lot of work. And if, if somebody would want to do that, you know, more power to you. For, for me personally, in, 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 in my games, I basically just told people to, to right. reflavor spells and, and to not use things that were completely mm-hmm. against their nature. Now, that being said, my water clerics still use burning hands. It's right. just like steaming hands, basically. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that sort of made sense in, in, some, in some manners. Right. So we just sort of, you know, kind of played it by ear. And, and, and in my games, yeah. we just kind of played it fast and loose. And, and it still works. Uh, especially if you, have, if you have a player that's really willing to go that extra mile and yep. describe the spells closely aligned with their element. Yeah, I, and we talked about this last episode when we talked about clerics and how clerics are built with their domains and whatnot. You know, you're you're giving those domain spells their flavored correctly. You could remove yeah. some stuff in general from the cleric list, but and, until the full rules come out and we're saying, oh, this is what it is, a little bit of give and take between the the player and the DM, you know your your Earth cleric is probably not going to cast lightning bolt if you if you somehow got access to it. And, you know that's not going to happen. You know, flame strike probably not from the water cleric. It could be something else. Yeah, just reflavor. You know, change some stuff up. Yeah. It's it's not that big a deal. But as long as the story is being told and people are having fun, that's not a big worry. Yeah, yeah. So the big topic on magic is, of course, defiling. So many people, you know, how are you doing defiling? How are you doing defiling? Again, I really have not messed with it a lot just because I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I would rather my players be preservers than defilers. So I've really not <laughs> had it come up. I've tempted people to defile, but they still have not done it. So, you know, I really haven't had to consider this a whole lot. But basically in second edition, besides the classes being different like that that was the main difference between defilers and preservers mm-hmm. defilers kind of leveled faster they got their spells faster but when they did defile they basically worked it off of this table mm-hmm. and it was by terrain type and spell level and so you would kind of look up again by terrain type and spell level and there is a number and that number is kind of the radius i think in yards right. that um yeah radius in yards where all vegetation is turned to ash so i think that's that table still works really well there's yep. I don't really feel there's a need to change that. Yeah, I, I mean, part of it is it's just that's a purely flavor flavor thing. If you want to, if you want to make it in squares or feet, so you can measure it out. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> I don't think it's that big sure. a deal. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's a it's an aesthetic effect. It's an important one. Don't get me wrong, but it's an aesthetic effect. So you don't have to put any mechanics really behind this. Right, right. Now, one thing that I always thought was cool that, you know, is when defilers, uh, and this this does come up in the game because, you know, there's a lot of enemy defilers. And so this aspect will come up as your players face evil defilers in that 
when they cast magic, mm -hmm. uh, when they pulled that energy from the land, not only does it destroy the land itself, but it also pulls a little tiny bit yep. of, you know, energy from from creatures. And it's not as much as dragon magic where it's like draining them, but it is it is enough. And in second edition, basically every yep. other creature that was in the radius took an initiative penalty equal to the level of the spell. So that was pretty pretty simple. Now. I don't know many people that keep track of yeah. the initiative, the exact initiative number that mm -hmm. people rolled. Now, you could do that in 5th edition. Yep. What people mostly do is just get yourself in the order, and then you just start going by the order. So, you know, if you, as long as you started keeping track of that, mm -hmm. you could do it that way, um, and people would still get a penalty. Now, another way you could do it would be sort of like you could say people that were in the radius were stunned now i wouldn't use a full stun condition because that's a little too much mm -hmm. but you could say like maybe they lose their reaction maybe mm -hmm. they lose the ability to to do bonus actions you know in the next round of combat you know just a little something to to show that mm -hmm. they're you know they've gotten something taken from them if you really wanted to to really push on 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 how much it drains from you yep. you could gain a level of exhaustion maybe it's a level of exhaustion you know with a save or something like that okay that's I feel like that's super hardcore. Mm -hmm. Maybe that would be a cool like for a, for a defiler to take. Yeah. Or maybe it'd be a cool you know something extra that that defiler has to kind of be like holy cow that's like draining more than more than normal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean I mean again I I don't think even in second edition I don't think I played with anybody who played a defiler. I know I'm pretty sure I didn't. So these are important important rules. It's going to be built in a certain way, and it's going to be even in a certain way. But uh, I, I haven't thought about it really, and it also comes down to we've I mean, we've mentioned this before. Is this something that any arcane wizard or any arcane caster can do, or is this a specific class and class feature? Because designing it uh, basically hinges on that thought, that kind of thing. So I don't really have anything you know sorry audience i really don't have anything for this you know thinking a little bit about it but it's just uh it's one of those things that i i'm curious what wizard will say uh when they they do it i'm gonna have to go with that answer yeah <laughs> sorry to say yeah. yeah yeah it should be interesting yeah all right let's i think we got time for one more one more chapter yeah uh let's go through experience so the experience chapter uh which is chapter eight in the original dark sun book is one of my favorite chapters. I really love this aspect um, of Dark Sun, and that is that there were a whole list of racial XP bonuses. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so basically, not only racial, but also class XP bonuses. So if you played to your class and your race, you got bonuses to XP. So for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. if you were a gladiator, you got a bonus of 10 XP per level Per hit dice of creature defeated in an arena. Right. If you were a Templar, I love this part. If you were a Templar, you got 150 XP if you um, accuse if you profited by accusing, judging, or pardoning a freeman. Like, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, I remember that now. Druids get you know XP for defeating defilers. Mm -hmm. Dwarves get XP for pursuing their focus or lose it for ignoring their focus. Elves yeah. get it for for giving subtle tests of trust. Right. And for doing continuous runs. So uh, there's just, it really, really pushed players to play their characters in, yep. in you know, in a stereotypical fashion for their class and uh, race that I love. Yeah. So one of the things that I think wizards have noticed and people have noticed in D&D &D is that 
while people still give out XP, XP and whatnot, there's a couple of things. Number one, a lot of people are not differentiating XP between characters and players and whatnot. So it's not like you get a bonus or whatnot. It's just, you guys did really well. Here's how much XP you have for the session. I don't, I, I've tried it before. I, I've done it before where I tracked individual XP and, and give people bonuses when, you know, and something like that. I mean, if you've heard what Matt Mercer did during campaign one for Critical Role, he kind of did these little ticks. And at the end of the session, he would count out the only ticks and that would translate into a certain XP bonus. But what I've found that me, what I've personally been doing is it's just milestone. It's just like, I know what level I need you guys to be. I need the, the my party to be when I hit this adventure or this part. My stories are a little more a little more linear. And even if they're a sandbox, it's not like I say, oh, you're third level. This adventure area is level seven. I'm just going to let you die. It's going to be like, well, I'm going to balance that out. So I remember those those XP bonuses. They were really funny. They were, um, especially the filer one. I remember that. Yeah. My only issue is I think that we don't, we're not finding, we're not finding that a lot of people necessarily play that way. And, and I'm not saying it's, you're bad if you, you do. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just finding that most of the campaigns or something I play with, they don't differentiate how much XP you get. Um, and I've been playing AL for so long that it's just like everybody gets kind of a flat XP. You did yeah. all this, here's your flat XP as well. Right. And even in my, uh, so in my Patreon game, since it's sort of like a shared world game where there's, you know, multiple people playing multiple characters and multiple groups, yep. doing the individual XP is you know, going to be too monotonous. So we're, mm -hmm. we're sort of doing the whole like advancement checkpoint thing. So yep. in, in my game, in the first four levels, if you, after three sessions, you gain a level. Yep. And so the way, you know, I might start implementing these now that I'm thinking about this, the way I would mm -hmm. implement them is basically if you did these things under your class or your race, maybe you mm -hmm. get advantage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or inspiration. Inspiration. So yeah. that's one of the things and see, and, one of the, you know, I always have a problem with inspiration. I, I know I'm stingy with it and it's not on purpose. <laughs> I just don't think about it really. Yeah. Uh, nope, so I same. feel like this would be one of those things I could give these sheets to players and just be like, hey, when you do these things, let me know and I'll give you inspiration for doing them. Yeah. You get inspiration Simple. for it. Yeah. It kind of gives, it gives them. So one of the things that I love about Wrath and Glory, you know, on a completely different subject, Wrath and Glory mm -hmm. is a Warhammer 40k game. And there's a bunch of things that you can do to get wrath and glory and those are those are mechanics yep. like things that you use in the game and and some of those are like little little awards like this like if you do things that are in line with your with your character then you then you get the reward yep. and so I, I feel like putting it in the player's hands that way would really be really helpful yep. uh especially in this instance yep. with inspiration where i forget to do it yeah <laughs> i mean um inspiration is a great way because really that's what it was built for is like if you play to your personality traits ideals bonds and flaws you get inspiration you can only have one at a time and i find that as much as us dms forget and i'm saying us dms because i forget and almost every dm i know forgets to do it uh, just as a caveat for my eberron game i give it to everybody at the beginning of sessions like everybody has inspiration just remember i even forget to do yeah, that it's like everybody gets inspiration <laughs> i've thought about doing that i always yep. but um but basically just a way that's a way to reward your characters for playing two type to playing their character and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I like it. I think I'm going to use it. Yeah. And just because everyone, like for me personally, everyone's like a more, 
I want people to do stupid things. So here's inspiration to do stupid things. <laughs> uh, so more fun, but uh, yeah. All right. Well, I think, you know, we've gone through chapters. What is that? Four through nine. Yep. We got about five more to go. The, the rest should be relatively quick yep. since they're not, they're not as detailed as, mm-hmm. as the other ones that we've done. Absolutely. Um, but then we've also got a bunch of fan questions. Oh, yeah. So we will comb through those, answer your fan questions, and then go through the final five yep. chapters, six chapters we got left. Um, and, and then just kind of talk about anything else we can think about that we would hope would be done in fifth edition or how we would handle it in our games. For sure. For sure. So everybody, thank you so much for listening. Robert, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah. So you can uh, find me on Twitter at Radu76. You can find me on the Facebook Dark Sun group. Go check that out. Arena.athos.org is the Dark Sun um, Mm Athos.org forums. You can find me, if you want to play some Dark Sun with me, check me out at patreon.com slash robertadici. And I'm running games, you know, two or three times a month. We're in the city state of tier, and it's kind of like the city-based campaign. And so everything, you know, spoilers: Kalak died, well, you know, the Sorcerer King died, mm-hmm. and <laughs> now the chaos that is erupting in his wake, uh, his absence, is what the characters are dealing with right now. Yeah. How about you? Where can we find you? <laughs> Probably the best way to find me is on Facebook. Um, I'm in a bunch of Discord channels um, where I kind of just lurk. I'm sort of on Twitter <laughs> at Visionary Comms. I don't check very often. I'm not doing a lot of the social media stuff these days. I've got two kids. And, yeah, kids will do that. Yeah, kids, kids will do that. Like yours. <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm working on I'm producing a DMs Guild book with with Keith, so I'm doing a lot of Eberron stuff right now. So nice. that takes up a lot of time. Um, hopefully, it'll clear up. But um, you know, still got the podcasts and whatnot. But uh, I, I'm really liking his topic just because I've you know as we mentioned in the beginning actually in, in the previous episode, I mentioned in the beginning, you know, I, I feel that there is a good possibility, a good chance that, you know, Dark Sun will come, if not 2020, 2021 is a very good chance. I think it'll, it'll come up. I mean, people are hungry and whatnot. So who knows, Robert and I could be, could be completely wrong about our fifth edition guesses. And I would be happy if that was the case, because that means Wizards came out with a product and I can say, well, this is what it is. But until right. then, <laughs> until then, we will keep uh, speculating and uh, we'll have another episode of this. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bone, Stone, and Obsidian is hosted by the Misdirected Mark Network, the media arm of Encoded Designs.